Let's begin with a uh, short word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your good gifts, especially for the gift of absolution of our sins, that we would know the forgiveness that we have through the blood of Christ. We pray that you'd keep this before our eyes and help us to learn more about you as we study your word today. We pray this through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. All right. um, So again, I apologize for for running a little late today, um, but we'll stay on track here. Uh, So when we talked about baptism, uh, we talked about the means of grace and the question of the the question of the means of grace is the question of how does what Jesus did for us 2000 years ago on the cross and from the grave how does that come to us today right what is the means by which that grace is applied to us right so the analogy we've used is that there's money in the bank how does that money get into your bank account? And uh, this is through what we call the, the means of grace, right? Well, we've talked about some of the means of grace. We talked about baptism. Uh, we talked about the word. And we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. But uh, what we want to talk about today is the fifth part of the catechism, which is uh Confession and absolution. Confession and absolution. And I want to open up just with a couple Bible verses, I think. Um, One of the things I think about confession and absolution is how kind of common the the language is in Scripture. That uh, God has intended for us to confess our sins and to receive an absolution for them, a uh, declaration of some kind of of the that forgiveness, and so uh, the first place we'll look uh, is so so here we uh, in the liturgy at this church we do the gradual. Um, there's also an option to do a psalm each Sunday, and instead of, instead of the gradual, and the psalm assigned for today is actually this psalm. Uh, and, and that's what we do over a beautiful Savior, so that's what was on my mind. But uh, if you go to Psalm 32, this is a great psalm. So Psalm 32, uh, it's also in the front of your hymnal, actually, too, if you don't have the Bible in front of you. But I'm just going to read some of this. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then uh, especially note uh, these verses here. Verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So when I kept, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the, um, the, this translation says guilt, I'm used to the word iniquity, 
You forgave the guilt of my sin, or the iniquity of my sin. Uh, so, uh, and I'll read verse six too, and seven. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Okay, so here we have uh, this Psalm of David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Okay, what does that look like? Well, if I keep my sins silent to myself, my bones waste away, right? The sins kind of, they fester inside me, right? They, it's groaning all day long. And day and night, your, your hand was heavy upon me. David's talking about his conscience, right? He's talking about the, the guilt that weighs down on him for his sinfulness. Um, but then he says, then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Okay, so this act of confessing our sins to God and receiving forgiveness, uh, this is kind of our starting place, right? Um, another place I want to look real quick, we could look at more than this, but um, we don't have too much time, so I want to keep moving. First uh, John, chap- at the end of chapter one, um, and we in divine service setting one, we actually quote this. So this is 1 John 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Right. So very basic scriptural principle. Everyone is guilty. No one is without sin. Right. We can't pretend like we don't have sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so that, that's the part we quote in the divine service setting one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, so Jesus wants to forgive us, right? But part of repentance is this confession, is confessing our sins, right? Being honest with God, about our sins, okay? So I just wanted to start with a couple verses there to kind of show um, that that scriptural language, that this idea of confession and absolution. And then, of course, we're going to look at when Jesus institutes confession, absolution um, in Matthew 16 and in John 20 in a moment. But I wanted to start there. So then if we look at the catechism, let's see, we're on page... Um, 326 now. So this should be 326. Luther starts out with a good question. What is confession? Okay. What is the what does it mean to, to, to confess our sins? What is when we talk about confession? Um, so I said confession absolution here on the board, but in the catechism, right, the entire subject is just called confession. And uh, here Luther says, well, confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution. That is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself. We'll get to that part in a minute. Not doubting, but firmly believing that by it, our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Okay, so confession, when we're talking about confession, you can call it confession. Some people prefer to call it absolution. Uh, some people call it confession and absolution. Whatever we're talking about, 
these are the two basic parts, right? This is kind of like baptism, right? What does baptism mean? It means to wash with water. What do we do with bap- in a baptism? We wash with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, the words are, are simple and they mean what they say, right? God's word is actually pretty clear in this way. So when we're talking about confession and absolution, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about confessing, which means to say, right, to speak, uh, to uh, confess our sins to God, and to receive absolution. And as Luther points out here, and we'll get to this uh, in a moment when we talk about the office of the keys, uh, this is likely going to involve a pastor um, acting in the stead in the stead of Christ, acting in God's stead. So this is the two parts of confession, confession and absolution. And the absolution is, is this forgiveness, right? To absolve means to be cleansed or purified, like, like John says in 1 John. All right, what I want to do to kind of, the, the way that I found to make this a little more clear is to talk about the, the different ways in which you can see confession and absolution in your life and in the life of the church. And I think there's four different ways, and Luther actually kind of gets to this in his next question when he asks, what sins should we confess? But part of the issue with this part of the catechism in particular is some historical developments that makes this part of the catechism seem a little weird to us. Okay, so um, let me list out the four ways in which we do confession and absolution in the Lutheran church today. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the history of two of them, okay? So just just bear with me here. Uh, the first two ways that we do confession and absolution are what I'm going to call public and private confession and absolution. So public confession and absolution is probably... Uh, what you're thinking of when you think about confession and absolution based on what we do every Sunday, right? So every Sunday we begin the service how? With confession and absolution, right? First we start with the invocation in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And well, we have the opening hymn too. (laughs) I didn't say that. But uh, after the opening hymn, invocation, and then what do we do? We confess our sins, right? We, We say together, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you, so on and so forth. And then the pastor stands up and says, upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the forgiveness uh, of your sins, right? So uh, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is the public confession absolution, right? This is the one we do publicly. Um, We'll we'll say uh, divine service, right, every week. This is the kind of public confession absolution. <clears throat> private is what you may have heard of before as private confession absolution or individual confession absolution, right? Now, what do you think of when you think of private confession absolution? Roman Catholics, right? In the, in the movies with the confessional booth, right? That's, that's generally what people think of. Well, we'll get to the history lesson in a moment, but 
just to point out for now, Lutherans still do this. Now, it's very important to say we do it very differently than the Roman Catholics do it. Um, and if you want to put your finger there, uh, the right for individual confession and absolution in your hymnal is, should just be a few pages back here, I think. Yeah, I'm not. I'll find it. Oh, I see it. 292. Um, page 292 in the hymnal. So uh, you can see that there. 292. Um, but Lutherans still practice this, and that is what it sounds like. It's a pastor with an individual person individually confessing their sins and receiving absolution uh, for, for their sins. And the main, um, the main difference between the public and the private other than multiple people in one person, is that in the private, there is the opportunity to confess specific sins, right? Where in the public, you can confess specific sins in your heart, right, during that time of silence. But in the private, um, there's the opportunity to uh, confess before the pastor those specific sins, right? Okay, so that's the private. And we'll get to the, the history lesson, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. The third and fourth ways that we confess our sins and receive absolution, um, I think are important to point out. One is prayer, right? So Luther actually says this in the next question, uh, that we do this in the Lord's Prayer, that we confess our sins and we, we know that God hears our sins, right? So the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we believe, like we talked about in prayer, that God hears and answers our prayers, right? That he actually does hear that prayer and answers it by forgiving our sins, okay? So prayer is one way that we receive confession and absolution. The fourth way um, is something that, so you guys did a Book of Concord study, right? At some point, I remember that, yeah. Uh, so the uh, Book of Concord is the, the book of the Lutheran confessions, um, which... Uh, pastors, at least in the LCMS, have to subscribe to to become ordained. Well, one of the documents in there is called the Small, Call, Small Called Articles, and uh, that's a document that Luther wrote. And it's, a, it's one of actually my favorite documents in there because Luther thought he was dying when he wrote it, so it's very straightforward and to the point, which is interesting. Anyway, um, but in the Small Called Articles, uh, Luther's kind of talking about the gospel in general, um, and he, he uses this phrase called the mutual consolation and uh, convert, mutual consolation and conversation of the brothers or the br brethren. Um, and what he means by that is that fellow Christians can remind each other and declare to each other the gospel. Right, so um, you know, say you go to a friend, a Christian friend, and you you express, "Hey, I've been struggling with this sin in my life. You know, can you pray for me? Can you uh, can you give me some advice?" And and the the friend says, um, "Yeah, absolutely, I'll pray for you. And I just want to remind you, I want to uh, point to you in Scripture that Jesus has promised to forgive the sins of those who repent, and that His blood covers this sin." Right. And they comfort you with the gospel, and they, they give you that, that declaration of grace. That is also, I think, a form 
if you will, of this confession and absolution, right? That um, in all these things, we're receiving forgiveness for our sins, right? We're receiving the gospel. And also worth noting, right, is that, I mean, if we want to broaden it out more, that we receive the gospel and forgiveness in the Lord's Supper. We receive forgiveness in the gospel and baptism. We receive forgiveness and, and the gospel in the reading and preaching of the word. And why does God give us so many opportunities to receive forgiveness for our sins? Because we're poor, miserable sinners, right? So it's really good in this way that, that God is so gracious, right? You can see in all these institutions of Christ and what Christ has left his church on earth that he cares for them so much, right? He cares for his sheep. He wants to forgive us. He wants us to be with him. So um, that's one thing to just point out in general is that there's all these ways, okay? But now time for the history lesson. What Luther is talking about when he writes this part of the Catechism on Confession is really only the private aspect of our private confession absolution. That's why he uses it. I mean, it's, I think it's pretty obvious he uses these language, this language here, right? That we should receive forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself. Not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven in heaven. And the reason I don't include the public in that, right? Because the public also involves the pastor. Um, that was not a practice in Luther's day. That didn't exist. Okay, so back in the... So I'll just give you the history lesson now. Um, so back in, in the Middle Ages, the early church Middle Ages, all, all the way up um, until what I'll tell you in a minute, uh, around the, the 19th and 20th century, um, the service began, the kind of common service that we still use today, began with the introit, right? So you'd have uh, the introit, and then you'd have uh, the, the Kyrie, right? And then the, the Gloria, and then the Collect, and then the Readings, right? That was, that was how the service began. And introit literally means entrance. And so the introit, which is normally a compilation of psalms, that was the opening hymn. It was chanted, right? So uh, the, the procession with the, you know, with the crucifix maybe and with the acolytes, um, that would happen during the introit. That was their entrance into the church. And then, and then when the, they got up to the altar, it would start, the service would kind of start with the Kyrie and glory and stuff. Um, that all comes in our service right after this public, after this public confession and absolution um, today. Okay, so how did that change? How did we get there? Well, um, in Luther's day, right, and in the Middle Ages, private confession and absolution, right, uh, as you know, kind of in the Roman Catholic Church, was a much more common practice. Basically, everyone, it was just expected that this is something that everyone did. Right? They, they went to confession with the priest. And it, it was in connection also to, um, we'll talk about this when we talk about the Lord's Supper, it was in connection to an announcing that you wanted to receive the Lord's Supper. So basically, um, with the practice of closed communion, which we'll talk about when we get to the Lord's Supper, the confession and absolution was um, not only to receive forgiveness, but it was also a way 
of showing that you were still an active, repentant member of the congregation, right? And were um, wanting to receive the, the Lord's Supper, right? So it kind of uh, functioned in that way as well. But anyway, so that what happened at the, so the first thing to talk about is what happened at the Reformation. So when Luther and the Reformers uh, did their thing, right, when they had the Reformation, I guess you could say, um, one of the things that changed was the way that private confession absolution was done. So a more minor point is that they got rid of the confessional booth, right, because the confessional booth um, that Luther didn't see private confession and absolution as this kind of secret or mysterious thing, right? He saw it as something that was good and, and biblical, so we'll talk about that, but um, it didn't need to be kind of behind closed doors or this uh, kind of mysterious, secretive thing. Um, of course, it is private, right? So it's not like everyone's invited, but... Um, the confessional booths did not really may, remain in Lutheran churches. Uh, so that, that was one thing, but that's more minor. The more major thing is that the Roman Catholics, when they do, and still to this day, confession and absolution, and they actually call it something else now. Does anyone know what they call it now? The Sacrament of Reconciliation or something like that? Does that sound right? Anyway, uh, they're always doing crazy stuff now. I don't know. Um, Anyway, when they did it, and still to this day, when the priest would announce the absolution, it wasn't a free absolution, right? He, they included what was called penance. And this is one of the big problems that Luther had to deal with, was that the, this penance idea was that after you receive absolution, after you confess your sins, you need to go and do some stuff to earn that absolution, Right? So you need to go and say this many Our Fathers and this many Hail Marys and all that. Right? That was the kind of Roman Catholic idea is that salvation is by works, right? So um, in the Roman Catholic view. And so to earn that absolution, you needed to, um, depending on the severity of the sin, you needed to do stuff to work it off. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so this is that's a good question. Um, so penance originally wasn't a bad idea. And originally what penance was, so a lot of the things in the Roman Catholic Church, when they got started, you know, in the late early church or early medieval stage, they weren't really uh, as egregious as they were by the time Luther came on scene. So when Luther came on scene, uh, it was pretty blatant, like they were selling indulgences to pay for the the new big chapel or whatever, and they were taking advantage of the poor and all this stuff. Um, but penance originally was actually the idea that you've received the forgiveness, and now here's some advice and some scripture to help you in your struggle against sin. And that actually still exists. Now, we don't call it penance, but if you do look at that right of individual confession and absolution um, on page 292 and 293, after the absolution is spoken, 
um, there is this rubric, this red, these red words here, that say the pastor may speak additional scripture passages to comfort and strengthen the faith of those who have great burdens of conscience or are sorrowful or and distressed, right? And I find a, a great value in that. I've had um, when I when I go to confession, um, the past pastors that I've gone to and the pastor I go to now um, will do that, right? They'll they'll give me some scripture. They'll read a psalm with me, and maybe give me some advice in my struggle against sin, right? And I find great value in that. Um, so th- this is a good a good thing. That yeah, go. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a very good thing, and and I think people really do appreciate that kind of advice and um, whatever. But yeah, we can't call it penance anymore because of the Roman Catholics. But that that's originally what penance actually was. Uh, but then the Roman Catholics turned it into this. Okay, this is part of what you need to do to get the absolution for the absolution to count. So uh, that's kind of too bad, right? But Luther said. Enough with the penance, right? The penance is out. I mean, we can do that kind of... I think that never went away, the, the kind of life advice aspect of it. But uh, the absolution is out, or the, the, the penance was out, um, but the absolution was full and free forgiveness, right? You are totally and freely forgiven of, of these sins. Okay, so then fast forward. That's basically what happened in Lutheran churches for the next couple hundred years, right? Was... Uh, private confession and absolution was the norm, um, and depending on the church and the location, uh, people would go anywhere between once a month to f- four times a year. Um, nor- it wasn't normally the practice that people would go like every week or every day or anything like that, but um, I, the most common things I've, I've heard and read are like, yeah, between maybe you know, 12, four to 12 times a year or something like that. Um, and in seminary, they tell uh, us pastors uh, it's a good idea to go at least like four times a year, like as a pastor. Which it's it's harder as a pastor because you can't go to yourself, right? So you have to arrange with another pastor. But um, and especially if you are in a more rural area, that can be a little more difficult. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, so that continued, and and still continues to this day to be a Lutheran practice. However. What happened in the uh, 19th and 20th centuries as Lutherans came to America uh, was a a couple different things, but um, one of the things that happened was that, especially in switching over to the English language, Lutherans became very influenced by the liturgies and worship of other non-Lutheran Christians. Right, so specifically in this case, the Reformed. And there was actually a period of time where there was a big short, there were a lot of Reformed and Lutheran people coming over, but there was still not a lot of pastors. And, you know, building a building is expensive and other things where there would be these, what are what were called union churches, where it'd be one church and even one pastor, but it would be like Reformed in the morning and Lutheran in the evening. Right? Um, and those churches were kind of a mess because, the pastor himself was probably one or the other, but then would still do the service for the other people. Anyway, um, but with those union churches and with those, that kind of situation and switching over to English, but not having a lot of English hymnals and stuff like that right away, 
this public confession got added into the Lutheran tradition, right? So what the reform did was um, something very similar to what you can actually see in the beginning of divine service setting three, um, which is there's so there's two options for the absolution in divine service setting three. So that I'm looking at page 185, or 184 and 185 in the hymnal. So um, you can we can do the the, abs, the absolution like we normally do, or there's that right hand column which is what we call a declaration of grace, right? So if you look at the absolution portion of of that right hand column. Uh, the person who's leading the service, the pastor just says, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us and has given us his only son to die for us and for his sake forgives us all our sins. To those who believe on his name, he gives power to become the children of God and has promised them his Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, Lord, unto us all. What's missing there? Yeah, the actual announcement of absolution, the actual, I forgive you your sins, Right? It's a declaration of grace, um, this kind of uh, declaring that God has had mercy on those who believe in his name. That's what the Reformed had done for a long time, and that's what they still do. If you go to a Presbyterian church today, you'll probably hear at the beginning of the service a declaration of grace. Um, okay, what the Lutherans did is they just kind of mushed that together with the private confession absolution, and then created this, this new public confession absolution, right? And so that's where that comes from. And then, of course, over time, what happens is that as the public confession absolution gets to be every week in the divine service and it becomes more and more popular, then people stop going to private confession absolution because, well, I do, it on, I do public confession absolution on Sunday morning, so I don't need to go to private Confession absolution, right? And so private confession absolution, basically, um, in the 20th century, fell out of practice in most Lutheran churches, right? By the end of the 20th century, um, you know, by the year 2000, right, bringing us up to more modern times, very few Lutheran churches are super actively practicing private confession absolution, right? Um, I mean, it may be offered, but it's not like... I'd say you know 98% of congregations are not doing it right, uh, as far as like the membership in the congregation, right? You might have like one or two members in each congregation doing it or something like that on, on average. Okay, so um, that's kind of what happened historically. In the last couple decades, last 25 years or so, uh, private confession absolution has picked back up in Lutheran churches. Uh, so, uh, as I showed you, we obviously have a right, right on page 292 in, in the Lutheran service book. And um, the thing that's always kind of interesting to me is how much it fell out of practice considering it's one of the chief parts of the small catechism, right? Um, of course, these other things, prayer and mutual consolation and the public confession absolution, do kind of apply to what Luther's saying here. But... What Luther's really talking about is private, and despite it being in our small catechism, it kind of fell totally out of practice. So 
That's kind of interesting to me. But um, there's been a revival of it in the last 25 years or so. Um, as I kind of mentioned before, they do talk about it in seminary uh, now and encourage us to make use of it. Uh, in the congregations I was a part of growing up and kind of in college, um, I heard it talked about more and more. I don't know. I don't know what's uh, if it's ever been really done here in the recent past, if um, any of the previous pastors have done it. But, uh, yeah. Go. Yeah, so one of the things that also I think, that's a good point, um, sorry to interrupt, but one of the things that also did contribute, I think, to some of this, to it falling out of practice more, was the rise of psychology in the mid-20th century and the idea of pastor as counselor, right, where um, the, the pastor, you might not go to him for confession absolution, but you might go to him for some kind of counseling. Um, and that... At, you can kind of see the connection there that 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 it is also almost this replace part of a replacement for it right so if you kind of combine public confession absolution with pastor as counselor then it almost seems like you don't really need that right so that's um, and and a lot of like the couple generations of pastors before me some of the older guys that like I talked to um, they're, they'll talk a lot about like all their counseling that they did, but not really about private confession absolution, right? So um, this is just the way of history. I'm not um, I'm not trying to make any judgments on the past either. Like no, no, it's just yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Some you know, elders and other churches. This has never come up. Yeah, yeah. It's uh um it's definitely a more recent revival for sure, and it's. I think it's more popular among my generation of pastors and the generations immediately preceding mine, um, but definitely the older generation of pastors. Um, they didn't talk about this in seminary. I mean, I can, I know for a fact because I I've talked to guys. Hey, did you ever talk about that in seminary? Like, no, not really, right? It was just at one point, kind of. I think I'm going to say broadly, like between 1950 and 1990, it just wasn't ever talked about, right? So. Yeah. That you felt was sinful, you could go to your pastor and talk to him privately, and he would have scripture to. Yeah, he would comfort you, and yeah. Comfort you with your struggle and help you. Yeah, I think that's definitely. I think that's definitely true. Yeah. So the big difference. Right, 
Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I, I would assume that one of the primary things the pastor would say in that case, though, is that you are forgiven of that. Mm -hmm. uh, you, of course, you should not do that, and then, you know, maybe there's a Bible verse that helps with a particular sin. Yeah, I think the big difference between those two things, um, I think they are very similar. And I think, I mean, I would say in that situation, if the pastor says, um, you, you come to him and you say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with sin, and you don't do the you don't do the actual thing in the hymnal, but he says um, you are forgiven or something along those lines. That is a real absolution of sorts, definitely. And it's you know it's it's kind of also in line with like the mutual consolation conversation of the brethren. Although it I mean let's be honest, it means more coming from a guy wearing a collar, right? In a sense, just psychologically even. Um, may, may, maybe not theologically, but. Okay, so here's a question. Yeah. Can someone who is not a pastor absolve someone of their sins? Isn't that violent the opposite of the key? So let me. You can announce. Yeah, let, let me come back to that. Let me, come, let me finish this question conversation real quick and let me come back to that. So, what point in the SP process can he absolve sin? Okay. After yeah. two years, he goes all sin? Yeah. A year and a half? Yeah. So, we'll get to that. Um, and that'll come more in our conversation. We need to have a conversation about the Office of the Keys, too. So, we'll get there. Um, but the big difference between what we were just talking about of the formal private confession absolution and this more informal uh, discussion with a pastor is this is the right, right? R I T E, right. So, what uh, this is the right of individual confession absolution excuse me uh right is this word for basically like a, a a liturgical setting right where you have this this formal uh setting where you're going to speak these words i'm going to speak these words and we're going to follow these rubrics these words in red right that's a right in the church so like we also have baptism is also a right Right now, baptism is an institution of Christ in the Bible, but when we do a baptism, we follow a baptismal rite, um, if if that makes sense. Or when we uh, do a confirmation, we follow a confirmation rite. Or we do a wedding, that's a wedding rite. Um, so it's a it's kind of a service of sorts, but it's it's formal. Um, the the big difference between an informal conversation with the pastor, where he loosely absolves your sins. And the formal private confession absolution that we're talking about, I think it, it really is this right where um, we're going to sit down and, and we're going to do what's in the book, right? And it doesn't have to be this exact right, but that we're going to follow an order. And then at the end of that order, the pastor is going to say something along the lines of, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Um, so I think that's the, the difference, if that makes sense. And that the right is really what fell out of practice. Because I'm sure there were always conversations like that going on throughout the history of the 20th century. But I think the right felt, really fell out of practice. Yeah. Um, so let me, what time is it? Uh, Jake, we're going to get to your question next week, if that's okay. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to talk about. Um, so 
before we move on with the rest of talking about confession, absolution, and the catechism, and the office of the keys, um, I just want to talk a little bit about private confession, absolution as the right, um, and kind of what what I do and and what you can do if if you're interested in it. So, like I said, it's made more of a revival in the in the past. At Beautiful Savior, what I do, and I'm happy to do this here as well, or something similar we can discuss, is that during Advent and Lent, I have an hour um, each week set aside. Um, so we have Wednesday night services, right? So we have dinner at 5.30, service at 6.30. At 4.30, I have open office hours where people can come, uh, show up before dinner starts, and, and come to my office, and we'll close the door and do private confession absolution. Um, so I have an hour there for however many people I can fit in during that time. Normally, no one comes, to be honest, okay? Um, once in a while, I've had people um, come, but uh, that th- that's kind of my practice. And then also, I always advertise that anytime by appointment, I'm available for this, right? Anytime by appointment. So just make an appointment with me, and, and we'll find a time to do it, right? So anytime by appointment, I can do confession absolution. Um, well, I normally announce it in, during Advent and Lent. And then I, I should have it in the bulletin every week. Honestly, I should. But um, I'm going to add that to my to-do list uh, in a moment. Anyway, so that's uh, kind of what I do. I know churches that have it have those kind of open office hours every week because they have a lot more people that participate in it. And so that's a good thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it, so let, let me address a few common concerns with it as well. Uh, one common concern uh, about private confession absolution is uh, sorry, I was thinking about what order I want to go in. Um, one is that's too Catholic, which I think the history lesson, hopefully it's cleared some of that up, that it's um, actually something that Lutherans retained, and obviously we still have it in the divine service. Um, so it's really not too Catholic. Um, the other major concern is like the idea of privacy and of I don't want the pastor to think ill of me uh, if I confess these deep, dark secrets to him and, and this kind of thing. Uh, so let me address that. First of all, uh, pastors undergo during their ordination right what is called uh, the seal of the confessional so in our ordination we vow that we will never divulge the sins confessed to us right so even if um, the you know someone confesses a sin to me and then that person ends up in court and the court calls me to testify I'll tell them nope I'm not going to do it right um, I, I'm not going to divulge anything that was that was confessed unto me. And there's actually mo- legal protections for the seal of the confessional, in most cases. Uh, but an- anyway, it is it is sealed, right? So I I am uh, I would be kicked out of the ministry if I divulge sins confessed to me. Okay, so um, that that's something that I take and every pastor I know takes very seriously. So you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about the pastor gossiping about it later or anything like that. The other thing is that people are normally say something along the lines of like, oh, I don't want the pastor to think bad of me. And um, I, so a couple things. One, 
I honestly don't really remember what people have confessed to me. And they think it's really bad, right? But, I, and I think this is kind of a, a blessing by God, but there is this kind of memory washing that occurs for me when after confession, like I just, okay, they, they confess their sins, I forgave them, and I just, I just put it on my mind. Um, and I, I really don't like think about it. I don't dwell on it. And the other side of that is that I know you're all poor, miserable sinners. Right? I really do. Um, people are always surprised when they tell me something that they think I've never heard before. And that not just in confession, just like in general too, like in counseling or whatever. People will be like, you've probably never heard anyone do anything like this, or you've probably never heard of a situation like this. And I'm like, I've only been at it for three years and I've already heard that three times. Like, it's not that surprising. People are really screwed up. Uh, people are really sinful. So um, I'm, I'm really never that surprised. So don't worry about how bad of a sinner you are. Um, this, is why, this is why Paul says, chief of sinners though I be, right? He knows what it's like to be a human. Um, anyway, so that's that spiel. So yeah, private confession and absolution, is good. I, I think the, um, let me just close on this. The big advantage of making use of it is the specific comfort you get for specific sins, right? So uh, in the right, you have this confession that you make, and then you say, what troubles me particularly is that dot, dot, dot. And you have this chance to get whatever this specific sin is that's on your conscience off of your conscience, right? And and to hear then the absolution that is for that sin, right? Because in a public confession and absolution, I don't know what sins you're confessing. I announce forgiveness, but I don't know what sins you're confessing. In a private, I know exactly what you just said. And then I say, yep, in the stead of Christ, you're still forgiven, right? And that particular comfort, that particular specific forgiveness, I think is uh, what is particularly valuable about making use of private confession, right? Because oftentimes we know this as sinners, we'll have a sin on our conscience and we'll think, yeah, but if, I know the Bible says that I'm forgiven, but I can't really be forgiven of that sin, right? Or God, God can't really love me that much, right? You get these, these thoughts, these um, accusations in our head, right? If, if the pastor really knew, he wouldn't really forgive me, right? So, yeah, Rod, did you have something? Yeah, I'm just curious. You, you Right, so this, uh, right, so um, this has to do with repentance. So a true confession is someone who is repentant. And what does repentant mean? It means that you're going to change your ways, right, or that you want to change your ways. And so if someone confesses to me, something like that, uh, or, you know, take something even more common, right? Because it's probably not likely I'm going to get a confession that someone has a child in their basement. I mean, 
Maybe, but probably not. Um, say a, a guy comes to me and says, I'm committing adultery with my wife, but um, I don't want to tell my wife and I don't want to stop, right? I'm not going to absolve them. And it's not going to be under the seal of the confessional because they're not repentant. It's not a real confession, right? So I actually know of a situation where this happened. Um, by its nature, it was kind of public, and I won't get into the details. Uh, but, um, you know, basically it was a pastor who uh, was committing adultery and tried to go to confession to make himself feel better about it, but he didn't want to actually repent. And so the pastor um, basically that he didn't absolve him and he, you know, he retained. So this is part of the office of the keys we'll talk about is retaining sins, not just forgiving, but retaining sins. And, um, you know, basically reported it to the district president and said, you know, this is the situation, followed Matthew 18. And eventually the guy was defrocked. And that was right because he wasn't repentant, right? He refused to repent of his sin. And um, so it wasn't ever a confession absolution. It wasn't ever in the seal of the confessional. So basically, um, people aren't allowed to abuse the right in that way. Well, that's, so, that, that's an important note that it's not a confession if there's not repentance. Right. Yeah. We're here to forgive repentant sinners. Yeah. yeah so a confession is I'm, 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 I'm sinning and I'm, I'm going to keep sinning. That's not a confession. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, everyone come on into church. Sorry, I'm talking too long. I'll, uh, let's close with a word of prayer, and then we'll get, to, we'll get to church here. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this day, and we pray that our worship today would be in spirit and in truth, and that you would open the hearts and minds of all here, that they would hear the preaching of your word and be edified. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. How you doing, Charlie? How are you? Oh, good. <laughs>